to the next part of our series that we've called Patterns, and it's going to talk to us a little bit about what confession looks like in our lives. Thank you, Howard. Hello again. Okay, so we're in uh, our pattern series, and tonight uh, we're really going to be focusing on how to say sorry when you've messed up. So I'm sure that's a skill we all need, and uh, we often don't know how to say sorry. And the result is we often damage relationships, sometimes permanently. So we're going to be focusing tonight on, on how to say sorry. Sorry to each other and uh, sorry to God. Uh, confession. But I want to start tonight by just reminding us all how bad we really are. <laughs> because the world keeps telling us that we're basically good. And... Uh, the secular world wants us to feel good about ourselves and about who we are and everything we feel, etc., etc. But uh, we need to just be a little bit cautious. So let's hear what the Apostle Paul had to say about people. And the first two chapters of the book of Romans is dedicated to explaining how bad everybody is. He first talks about Gentiles, you know, people who don't know God. And he goes into great detail about how bad they all are. And then he picks on the Jews and he says, and now let's talk about God's special people, the covenant people. They're as bad, um, even though they have God's law, etc., etc. So in Romans 3, he sums it all up and he, he says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's not one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the good news. And we can be justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So this is Paul writing the book of Romans. And then we come across a very interesting verse in James chapter 4. Now the book of James is, is written to Christians. But these were Christians that were fighting with each other. Some of them were very ambitious. Some of them were not paying their workers a fair wage. Some of them were worldly. James says, don't love the world. If you do that, you're an enemy of God. And in the fourth chapter of the book of James, he says, you people, you need to come near to God. And He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. And it's not because you're at a funeral, it's because you're a bad person. Change your laughter to mourning. Not everything's a time for a big joke, says James to these Christians. 
and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. So those are our two readings to, to kick us off today. It cannot be stressed enough how important it is in life to be able to say sorry properly. Countless marriages really could have been saved if people had the willingness and the skills to say sorry. That, believe it or not, is Alton John a long, long time ago. And one of his great songs that only 17 million people have viewed is sorry seems to be the hardest word to say. But Chicago did it one up on him. They've got 65 million views with the lyrics, it's hard to say I'm sorry. So these are definitely themes that resonate with people. How many of you know what it's like to have to construct an apology? To write a letter laying out all the terrible things you've done, your wicked motives, and how you're going to repent of what you did. How many of you know what it's like to have those conversations with people where you've got to lay your heart bare and say, I have no excuse. I really have messed up. More exciting is how many of you know what it's like to have people come to you to apologize and to be gracious in receiving that apology and in offering forgiveness. Here are the, the eight components of a proper apology. How to say you're sorry. Yeah, yeah, there, there we go. Often we need to give a detailed account of the situation. We need to acknowledge the hurt or damage done. We need to take responsibility for the situation, recognize our role in it, have a statement of regret, ask for forgiveness, promise it won't happen again, and there's a form of restitution that may be needed. These are the components of an apology. So I hope you, if, in a, if you're in a relationship, you're jotting these things down fast, because sooner or later, you're going to need them. Here are some thoughts about saying sorry. What's our motivation for saying sorry? Well, sometimes it's just to stop the anger. You know, we learn this as kids. You know, someone's really cross with you. And the sooner you say the magic word, I'm sorry, all the problems go away. How many of you have experienced that? I hope your parents didn't let you off that easily. Okay, they needed to look for some repentance. But sorry can be a, an easy way out. For us guys, sometimes saying sorry can be a way of avoiding getting punched in the face. You know, that, that thing you accidentally say in the, in the bar uh, when you're there for some other reason than to get it. And sometimes just quickly saying, hey, I, I'm sorry, I, I apologize for that. It can just. Get the, get the anger out of a situation. It can prevent an escalation. Some, sometimes people say sorry to gain points. You know, fighting is all about, you know, it's a bit like boxing when you have an argument. You score points against people. So sometimes getting in the apology, I'm sorry, 
we, we, we seem to think it can just wipe away everything we've done and now the other person can't ever mention it again because after all we said that I was sorry. So sorry can be used to get out of trouble. Why won't people apologize? Here are the biggest reasons. Usually pride, we just can't admit that we were wrong. Sometimes it's because of insecurity. We think, well, if we apologize for that, they're not going to respect me, so I've got to act tough. Sometimes we don't apologize because there's a lack of insight and understanding. Sometimes we say things and we have no idea actually how that thing has impacted another person. And sometimes, you know, the Bible says, go and show your brother their sin, because sometimes they can be unaware of it. But sometimes we just don't understand how our actions have hurt other people, and so we don't offer an apology. Sometimes there's a lack of empathy. We just actually don't really feel how the other person feels. We don't put ourselves in their, their shoes. Here are two, two good reasons for saying sorry. It should be that desire to mend a broken relationship. Saying sorry is the way we do that. And to make amends, to put things right. If we've messed something up, well, sorry is part of the process of putting it back together again. Here's the next factor when it comes to making an apology, understanding. In other words, have we truly grasped the implications of our actions? Sometimes there can be very superficial apologies. You know, around apartheid, many years ago, a few of the politicians that were, were involved in, in apartheid uh, you know, made statements like, we're very sorry for apartheid, we promise we won't do it again. You know, end of story. And there was a failure to recognize just how deeply people's lives had been affected for so many years. It's the person who gets drunk and has a, has a car accident and injures a person and maybe they're left in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. You know, simply saying sorry doesn't really cut it when someone's life's been ruined. So a true apology needs to involve a, a, a deep understanding of, of actually what my actions have caused. I don't want to pick on anybody tonight, but here's Tiger Woods saying he's, saying he's sorry. And I'm going to have a few confessions tonight, public confessions. They're all in the public domain and they're actually made for the public. These are not private confessions. I'm not sure when our tiger did this. Probably shortly after his wife whacked him on the head of a golf club. But he did say, I've let my family down and I regret those transgressions with all my heart. I've not been true to my values and the behavior of my, and the behavior my family deserves. I like this part. I am not without faults and I am far short of perfect. Well, I don't know how sincere you feel that apology is, but there you have it. A true apology needs to show that you really do understand how your actions have harmed other people. There's the great story of David. He 
He committed adultery and then murder. And he didn't really think he'd done too much wrong. I mean, he was the king after all. And it took Nathan coming to him to tell him that story about the man sheep and, and all of that. And finally he gets it. And after many months, he writes Psalm 51, which we're going to look at a little bit later on. Empathy needs to form a, a, an important part of, of our apology. Empathy is when we let others know that we truly get how they're feeling and they're right to feel the way they're feeling. And this is a great way also to resolve conflict. Parents should do this with children uh, and sometimes parents need to do it with each other. You each need to be able to listen to what the other's saying and then reflect back in your own words what the other person is saying to be able to show that you truly understand it. Have you ever heard of the non-apology apology? Okay, lawyers get trained in this. Publicists, media people, you know, this is like an important field of study. How to appear as though you're saying sorry when you're not really saying sorry. It's called the, the non-apology. Sincere, authentic apologies are direct, specific, and truthful. The non-apology should be obscure, unclear, unclear, and must appoint. Benjamin Franklin said, never rule an apology with an excuse. Here's Weinstein's statement after he unwittingly kicked off the hashtag MeToo campaign. Next slide, please. Next slide. I came of age in the 60s and 70s when all the rules about behavior in workplaces were different. That's why I behaved the way I did, he's saying, because that's how we all operated back then. That was the culture then. And I've since learned it's not an excuse in the office or out of it. And so it goes on. When we're saying sorry, we can't make excuses. We can't justify why I've done what I've done. That undermines our apology. Here's a quick tip. Any apology that has the word if in it is problematic. If you're in a relationship, you should also write this one down. Next slide, please, Charlie. When you say sorry, if I hurt your feelings, you're basically saying that like, you're really a bit sensitive. But, you know, if you got hurt, you shouldn't have. But hey, if you got hurt, I'm sorry. Same applies with I'm sorry that you're offended. Wow, you offended. I'm sorry you're so easily offended. Hey, I'm sorry that you don't have much of a sense of humor. I mean, that was an awesome joke. In fact, I'm really sorry that you just don't get it. In fact, I feel sorry for you as well. The same goes with, and this is a good one, I'm sorry you're upset. Oh, you're getting it now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Leave if out. 
great apologies include an acknowledgement of responsibility. Here's Kevin Spacey. You knew, you knew yeah, it was coming. You knew it was coming. Next slide, please. This is his confession. Inverted commas. He was accused by a man, Anthony Rapp, of... Anthony said that, you know, when I was 14, you, you jumped on top of me and it was very unpleasant and hashtag me too. And Spacey's replies are, I honestly don't remember the encounter. It was a long time ago. But if I did behave as he described, you know, he's not saying he did. He just said, if I did, I owe him the sincerest apology for what would have been an inappropriately drunken behavior. You know, I was drunk, so that, that's my excuse right there. And then, of course, the media went crazy when, when Spacey came out and said, actually, I'm gay. You know, I'm with men and women half the time in my life, but I want you to know I'm, I'm gay and you should really be supporting me because I'm coming out of the closet today. You see that little deflection in what should have been an apology. Should we really feel sorry when we're saying sorry? I think life is sometimes so complicated that we don't always feel sorry. But we should be working towards that. And that's where our James chapter 4 comes, comes into the picture. When we fail God, when we need to confess sin, we really do need to grieve and mourn and wail. Sometimes we need to change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom. We need to humble ourselves. And sometimes it's only when we really allow ourselves to feel the pain that we've caused other people that we can be set free and that we can give a proper apology where we have failed. I think feeling sorry is a necessary component in an apology. It reminds me of the two men that went to pray. Luke 18, the one man went and told God what a great person he was. The other person felt a lot of shame and a lot of brokenness. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, verse 13. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's have the next slide. It's about a plate. Grab a plate and throw it on the floor. Did it break? Yes. Okay, now tell it you're sorry. Good. Now, did it unbreak? No, now you understand. This little picture helps us to see that saying sorry in itself can't actually make things right. We can be sorry that the plate is broken. We can even take responsibility for it, but what are we going to do to, to fix it? In theology, we've got two good words for how you fix a situation. The one is repentance, the other restitution. Repentance is the commitment to stop doing the thing that hurt or offended someone else in the first place. That's repentance. And for an apology to be real and authentic, there also needs to be this commitment. I'm very sorry I hurt you. 
I can see how my actions have impacted you. I can see how my actions have made you feel. And I'm very sorry that you feel that way. And I make a commitment to you that I'm never going to do that again. That's what repentance is. Once the Pharisees were getting baptized with John the Baptist, he'd obviously done some good preaching. Next slide, please. And uh, John the Baptist is um, not, not just taken in by it. He says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just do the whole act, I'm getting baptized, I'm very sorry for everything I've done wrong. It is John the Baptist here, not Jesus, eh? He wants to know, look, you're saying that you're repenting, but we want to see some action. Where's the, the fruit of repentance? Restitution needs to be part of an apology as well. You all know that if you rob a bank, you can't just say you're sorry. You also have to give the money back. And if you really are sorry, you'll give it back. That's, that's a very silly example, but a lot of people think they can do bad things and then say sorry and then kind of leave it there. No, you can't leave it there. You can't leave it there. If I've tarnished a person's reputation, I need to put it right. If I've taken something from someone and they've lost out, I need to put it right. Luke 19, when Zacchaeus' heart is moved and he becomes a follower of Jesus, nobody tells him, now he must be, sort things out, Zacchaeus, he just knows it. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. And verse 8, he says, Lord, look, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of every, anything, I will pay it back. Self-awareness is an important part of an apology. When we fail, when we mess up, we need to ask ourselves, why did I say that hurtful thing? What's going on in my heart? Why did I tell that lie? Why was I so happy when that bad thing happened to so-and-so? We need to do some introspection. For Jesus says, Matthew 15, it's out of the heart that these evil thoughts and feelings come. I've got some things from AA in the 12-step program, but we can give that a skip. But they're great on searching our lives and making amends when needed. Let's focus now more on confession as a spiritual discipline. Yeah, we got there. Confession in the Christian sense of the word is about acknowledging our personal failings, our mistakes, our sins, our character flaws, and our weaknesses. Not just once, but regularly. Confession is a part of the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, He said, well, worship God, ask for God's kingdom to come, and then... You need to pray regularly, Father, forgive me for my sins, my transgressions. 
John writes to the early Christians and he tells them, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us. Why do we need to practice the spiritual discipline of confession? Because it's part of the process of sanctification. It's part of the way in which God renews our minds. Search me, oh God, and, and know my thoughts today. See if there be any wicked way with, within me. This is a Christian prayer. Part of our sanctification is through practicing confession. It's not a negative thing. It's a joyful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Let's read now Psalm 51, this great psalm that David prayed. And I'll say a few things as we go along. This is David's confession after the prophet Nathan came to him. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Sin can make us feel guilty and dirty. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But you desire truth in the inner parts. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David was aware that there, there were consequences in his life hiding the sun. He was feeling crushed by God. Hence his prayer. He goes on to pray, verse 9, Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Sin is the stuff you do. It's missing the mark. Iniquity is the stuff in your heart that makes you sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me, saying to me a good attitude, Lord. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. As Christians, we don't lose our salvation if we sin, but those sins do interrupt our fellowship with God. And we can lose our anointing. He prays, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's lost his joy because of the sin in his life. He's lost the ability, the credibility due to minister to others. Once you forgive me, Lord, then I can teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back. And verse 16 is so important. You do not delight in sacrifice. What God wants to see are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. just want to say a word or two about public confession. 
The Bible does say we must confess our sins to each other. It says that in Nehemiah 9, but also in James 5. Here's the verse from James. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We don't confess our sins to each other so that they can forgive us if we've sinned against God. But we confess our sins. It's a way of saying, gee, I've really got this struggle in my life. I've got this pattern of sin in my life and I'm telling you about it, friends, because I need your help to overcome this. As we close today, I just want to play Bill Clinton's confession. Many of you were very young, possibly even not born, when this happened, but I can hear the laughter, people, this certainly caused a big stir. Bolt, Bill Clinton had an intern called Monica Lewinsky, and they got up to no good in the Oval Office. And at first, Bill lied about it and said he did not have a sexual relationship with that woman. Uh, but then, as things always develop, it came out. And I'm showing you this confession by Bill Clinton because I think it's a really great confession. And I commend Bald for this. And, and he, he covers so much of the stuff I've been talking about tonight. Uh, a true understanding, genuine asking for forgiveness. The committing to pastoral counseling. He even quotes Psalm 51. It, it's fantastic stuff. So he does bite his lip a little bit, you know. You don't really want to say what you have to say, but hey, that's life. So here's Paul making his confession at a Christian meeting uh, on the 11th of September, ironically, 1998. Thank you. I agree with those who have said that in my first statement after I testified, I was not contrite enough. I don't think there is a fancy way to say that I have sinned. It is important to me that everybody who has been hurt know that the sorrow I feel is genuine. First and most important, my family. Also, my friends, my staff, my cabinet. Monica Lewinsky and her family. And the American people. I have asked all for their forgiveness. But I believe that to be forgiven, more than sorrow, is required. At least two more things. First, genuine repentance. A determination to change and to repair breaches of my own making. I have repented. Second, what my Bible calls a broken spirit. An understanding that I must have God's help to be the person that I want to be. A willingness to give the very forgiveness I seek. A renunciation of the pride and the anger which cloud judgment, lead people to excuse and compare and to blame and complain. Now what does all this 
mean for me and for us? First, I will instruct my lawyers to mount a vigorous defense using all available appropriate arguments. But legal language must not obscure the fact that I have done wrong. Second, I will continue on the path of repentance, seeking pastoral support and theirs of other and that of other caring people, so that they can hold me accountable for my own commitment. Thank you. Isn't that actually a great apology? Did you pick up on many of those things that I mentioned tonight? I love the way he even talks about sharing with others and having other people in his life holding him accountable. Let's pray together. Lord, one thing we don't like to do as people is to admit that we're wrong. But Lord, you tell us that we have hearts that are impure, in need of salvation and sanctification. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to say sorry to one another when we hurt each other. And most importantly to you, Lord, where we do things that displease you and that disrespect you, Lord. Keep us from blindness, keep us from pride, keep us from making excuses. Help all of us to become more empathetic, more understanding of how our actions and in many cases, lack of actions affect other people. Lord, we want to be a people that practice the discipline of confession. We want to be people who have broken and contrite hearts. Thank you that if we confess our sins 